welcome to the March podcast from Stevens and Harwood Pensions Law Team. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting our Pensions Hub at www.pensionshub.com. I'm Alex Bellis and I have with me Julia Cooper. We're both associates in the Pensions Team. Today we are covering a number of topics, including new guidance on transfers out, as well as buy-ins and buy-outs, and the potential future regulation of the use of LDI by pension schemes. We will first, however, consider the recent budget and its impact on pensions. Thanks, Alex. It was expected that the government would use changes to the pensions tax regime to try to encourage early retirees back into the workforce. With respect to lifetime allowance in particular, the budget in fact went further than many thought. The budget announced that the standard annual allowance, which is the maximum amount of tax-relieved contributions that can be made to a registered pension scheme in a year, will rise from £40,000 to £60,000. In addition, the minimum tapered annual allowance and the money purchase annual allowance will both increase from £4,000 to £10,000. Of greatest surprise was the announcement that the tax charge for exceeding the standard lifetime allowance will be removed. Whilst the lifetime allowance tax charge is being removed, members should, however, be aware that the maximum tax-free cash lump sum, which is currently calculated by reference to the lifetime allowance, will remain at £268,275. Whilst these will be a welcome change for many, the changes aren't wholly straightforward. Advice may be needed for anyone who, for example, currently has personalised lifetime allowance protection or who is considering taking advantage of the annual allowance carry-forward provisions with a view to maximising their pension saving. For further information on this topic, please see our briefing, which is available on our Pensions Hub. For our next topic, we'll consider a speech by Andrew Hauser, Executive Director of Markets, the Bank of England in which he considered the liability-driven investment or LDI crisis and the lessons that we can all learn from it. Whilst the central bank was able to step in during the crisis to prevent financial instability, there is a clear message from the Bank of England that public resources are not there to prop up private sector players who have failed to mitigate the risks that they are subject to. Key concerns regarding pension schemes and the LDI crisis were identified as the growing use of LDI, large leveraged holdings of longer duration gilts and derivatives, liquidity buffers that had not been rigorously stress tested for more severe shocks, and the cumbersome recapitalisation processes that inhibited defined benefit schemes from being able to inject resources quickly enough into their LDI funds and post-collateral. Further developments in this area are expected sometime this year to improve the resilience and reduce reliance on public finances in the future. It is likely, therefore, that trustees of defined benefit pension schemes will have another set of regulations to consider in due course. For our next topic, we will briefly mention the DWP's confirmation that there will be a delay to the connection deadlines for pensions dashboards. The first deadline, which applies to master trust schemes that provide money purchase benefits with 20,000 or more relevant members, is currently the 31st of August 2023. A revised timetable has not yet been announced, but revised legislation will be made at the earliest opportunity. 
While some schemes will breathe a sigh of relief, trustees should not take their foot off the pedal. Ensuring a scheme is dashboard ready is no small task and trustees should take full advantage of the additional time given. The regulator has been clear that it will take action as a result of any intentional or reckless non-compliance with dashboard obligations. The regulator is likely to have even less sympathy with a misconnection deadline as a result of the extension. Thanks for that, Julia. Pension schemes have become a hot topic and the Pension Scams Industry Group has published a guide for practitioners on combating pension schemes in the context of transfers out. The guide provides a useful overview of the statutory transfer process and the red or amber flags for trustees to be aware of. There is a helpful checklist for information and documents that should be requested from members when determining if the statutory transfer requirements are satisfied. The guide also explains the member communication requirements at the different stages of the statutory transfer process. Part of the practical advice provided in the guide covers how trustees and administrators may go about using clean lists for certain personal pension arrangements. There is a list of certain pension schemes which, following due diligence, it has been concluded pose a low scam risk and do not have any red or amber flags. For transfers where the receiving scheme is on the clean list, the intention is that the transfer process can proceed with minimal further due diligence. However, the transfer regulations as they currently stand provide that the receiving schemes that have overseas investments will raise an amber flag. Given most schemes have overseas investments of some kind, if trustees and administrators are to follow the letter of the law, it may be difficult in practice to include many schemes on this list. The guide discusses this position and the clear conflict between the regulations and the policy intent, which the regulator has confirmed is to deal with schemes with investments in jurisdictions where there is lax or non-existent regulatory regimes, rather than those with global equity fund investments, for example, pooled funds. We wait and see if the DWP will address this issue before amending the transfer regulations. In the meantime, the guide cautions that the use of clean lists for statutory transfers does carry a risk. Equally, not using clean lists could also cause problems for schemes, not least of all as a result of unnecessary delays to transfers, which clearly pose a low scam risk and even a risk of breaching the statutory time limits for transfer. The guide is a useful starting point for administrators and trustees when considering transfers out. However, it also highlights a number of known problems with the current drafting of the transfer regulations, which presents a conflict between the strict wording of the law and the clear policy intention behind it. The trustees therefore need to understand the risks involved when balancing their legal obligations with a practical approach. Thanks, Alex. The pensions regulator has highlighted in a recent blog that it expects trustees to engage promptly with it where the sponsor is in difficulty. Where trustees are faced with a struggling sponsor, they should ensure that they have a comprehensive information sharing package in place. This should include detailed forward-looking forecasts and how these could vary. 
They should be assessed ideally quarterly by a covenant advisor. Trustees should also involve the regulator at an early stage if it becomes clear that trading for a sponsor is challenged, if the viability of the sponsor is uncertain, or if there are issues of defaults with key creditors. Finally, trustees must ensure they have the right skills to deal with distressed situations and have access to expert advisors. With increased demand for buy-ins and buy-outs, PASA has issued new guidance on the importance of scheme, ensuring that their data is ready before approaching the insurance market. The benefits of this are not only save time during the process, but also more certainly on cost. Initial scheme data will be provided to an insurance company before the buy-in buy-out process. This data will then be cleansed during the verification process and a final price and rebalancing premium will be provided. The more accurate the data is at the outset, the less likely it is that trustees will be faced with unexpected costs following the verification process. In addition to ensuring all data is up to date and correct, it is also important that the data is held electronically. The guidance sets out some quick win areas for trustees to deal with. These include ensuring common data is periodically reviewed and formatted, that complete and consistent data is held, and that marital and mortality screening is undertaken regularly. The insurance market is increasingly competitive for pension schemes. Good quality data will be an added plus when insurers are deciding who to do business with. Even for schemes which are not currently considering insurance solutions, having good data is good practice in any event and necessary for ensuring that members are receiving the correct benefits. This should not therefore be considered as an exercise only for those schemes that are approaching the insurance market. For our final topic, we will consider the Pensions Extension of Automatic Enrolment Number 2 Bill 2022-2023. If passed, this bill will allow regulations to be introduced to extend the auto-enrolment regime by reducing the lower age threshold for auto-enrolment from 22 to 18 and reducing or repealing the lower limit of the qualifying earnings band so that contributions apply from the first pound earned. Under the current position, contributions are only payable in respect of earnings over £6,240. Even if, when the legislation comes into force, any such change will not be immediate, as it will require additional regulations to be made to make the proposed changes. Nevertheless, employers with the younger workforce or who pay the auto-enrolment minimum should consider what additional costs may be involved if these amendments are made. That's all for this month's podcast. Further detail can be found in our March snapshot, which is available on our Pensions Hub at www.pensionshub.com. You can listen to this podcast again and subscribe to the series on iTunes or Stitcher 